You're listening to Wiretap with Jonathan Goldstein. Today's episode, Our Fathers. I suspect, as perhaps I've always suspected, that my father, Buzz Goldstein, has never seen me as an especially manly kind of guy. As a kid, I did not play sports, I had no interest in tools, and I did not dream about muscle cars. My father, though, was always someone I thought of as an old-school kind of manly man. Growing up, I watched him charm his way out of traffic tickets, whistle for cabs, and say things like, va-va-va-voom, all things I cannot now help but think of as being a part of a manliness from a bygone era. When he poured whiskey, it was always into a washed-out mustard jar, and it was always at least three or four ounces in a shot. Or the way he had of saying, listen, pal, in his undershirt and flip-flops, his very extended index finger, as rigid as a pool cue, aimed straight at your face, never failed to let you know, in no uncertain terms, who was the alphaist male in the room. Even the random things my father did seemed drenched in a kind of casual, hairy-knuckled machismo. Like the fact that he liked grape soda made that soda seem infinitely more barrel-chested than a gutless glass of strawberry pop or an effete can of nectar. Another thing that I consider manly about my father is that he is a loud man. He is genetically incapable of whispering. When we go to movies, he'll turn to me right in the middle and say, just like we were sitting alone, Isn't that the guy who played the father on the Rockford Files? My father is now 69, and he still keeps weights beside the bed to do arm curls with. I invited him down to the studio to talk with me about what it means to be a man. Do you think, do you think there's certain things that a man should know how to do, like how to handle himself? Should he know how to box a little bit? Yes. Yeah. A man should know how to defend himself. Yeah. In other words, a man should not have to take any guff from anybody. And my father doesn't. Whereas above my head, there's a sign that reads, Please deposit guff here. When I was eight, my father decided to teach me how to box. We stood in the foyer of our apartment, knuckle to knuckle, the transgressiveness of it making me giddy and, as my mother would say, overheated. To my eight-year-old brain, the idea of play-fighting with my father ranked somewhere between eating candy buttons and watching the globetrotters on the wide world of sports. My father stood beneath the chandelier, dodging, weaving, and jabbing like a young willy pep. I thought this was great. With my arms doing a kind of Dutch windmill, I leapt into the fray, and almost immediately, my mouth connected with one of his fists. My lips split, and began to leak blood all over the powder-blue shag carpeting. I started to cry. I was crying because I had never been hit in the face before, and the pain was so completely new and alien to me. But I was also crying, because I felt so bad for my father. It would be the last time my father and I would ever play fight together. Do you feel that, that smoking lends a man a certain kind of manliness? Oh, yeah. Don't forget, we grew up with a certain stereotype when we were young. You might not remember this, but I remember one time we were on our way to, maybe it was a bar mitzvah. We stopped at the gas station yeah. to uh, to get some gas, and you picked me up a pack of cigarettes, and you, and you said that it, that it's important for a young man to smoke at a, at a social gathering. How old were you at the time? It was probably about maybe 19. Really? I did, eh? Well, because probably at that time, that was my way of thinking. You know, why did I start smoking? Not because I enjoyed smoking. 
the reason I smoked was because I was, first of all, I was, I was never as tall as my friends. I was always shorter for my age. And it made me feel taller. It made me feel as if I belonged. And it gave me something to do with my hands. Wait, how, how, just go back for a second. How did smoking uh, make, make you feel taller? Because older people, at that time, older people were smoking. My father smoked. My brother was smoking. How old were you when you started smoking? Fifteen. Hmm. So I started at a pretty young age. Wait, if if I was a taller man, would you would you have would you have felt that smoking was was as important? Uh, probably yes. Yeah. 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 But still, during my teen years, on the odd occasion when I did smoke, rather than taking my cues from Humphrey Bogart or Danny Zuko, gritting the butt between my teeth like I meant business and ashing often with forceful, deliberate taps, I chose to smoke like David Bowie, circa 1972, allowing my cigarette to hang limply from my lips, pretending to be too whacked out on goofballs to care that my ash was six inches long. My obsession with David Bowie, a languidly androgynous glam rocker, wasn't something that troubled my father, so much as it simply wasn't anything he could understand. My father preferred singers like Joe Cocker, men who delivered their lyrics as though painfully screaming them from a locked toilet stall. In his day, liking someone like David Bowie would have been the domain of degenerate officers in black-and-white movies about Nazis. Even now, whenever I'm over at my parents, and Bowie's on Entertainment Tonight, my father will call me over and say, Your pal's on TV. And we will both sit there in silence, watching David Bowie, both of us wondering what the other one could possibly be thinking. The thing is... My father is much more forthright when it comes to letting my friends know what he's thinking. With my friends, he is forthright on a great many subjects. If we're downtown right. uh, and we're hanging around with one of my friends, like say Howard, okay. you, you will be more you'll be more inclined to like point out, you know, a good-looking woman or something like that in a way that you probably wouldn't do with me as much. Yeah, I guess I'm. I'd feel more comfortable because uh, you're my son. You know, these are things that you don't do with your son. Uh -huh. But I've pointed out good-looking women with you, Johnny. I've yeah. walked with you. I mean, look, I got eyes in my head. My father did it with me. He'd look at a woman and say, oh, boy, va-va-voom. There was one time, I remember, where we were walking through, yeah. uh, we were walking through, I think it was a parking lot, mm -hmm. and I was maybe about 18, 19, mm -hmm. and we were passing by this other young woman, yeah. and you turned to me, and you you noticed that that woman looked at me, and you said, you see that woman over there? Yeah. I could tell that, that, that you could make her. Yeah. And then you, and, and then you said, um, you see, I could tell these things. You can't tell these kind of things, because you're more into books. Uh, you were more preoccupied, yeah. You were more preoccupied. These are, weren't the things that were uh, of the greatest interest to you. And so, so you thought maybe I would miss something like that? Yeah, I guess I was more on the uh, more aware of these things. You know, as a young man, I, I went out with a lot of women. I had a lot of experience, and I could kind of instinctively tell these things. And 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 so, how would you how would you characterize that difference between me and you? Uh, I was a different type. I wanted to uh, wear nice clothes and uh, go out with good-looking women and uh, drive a nice car, and you were never interested in these sort of things. Mm -hmm. I've always taken my father saying that I was more into books or that I was never into these kinds of things as being a polite way of saying that I just wasn't a regular guy. 
and I have to say I've never felt hurt by that, nor have I taken it personally. Whining is unmanly. Uh huh. Complaining and and bitching a lot. So you think there's a certain kind of stoicism that that's necessary? Um, I don't think it it it, it, it can't be forced. It's either you have it or you don't. Mm hmm. When when you think of me, do you do you think of me as possessing a certain quiet manliness? Yes. No, I want you to be honest. I'm being honest, Johnny, because I feel that you uh, have done a lot of things that I wish I had done when I was younger. Uh, you were more assertive with things that you didn't. I see. I went along with things a lot, mm -hmm. whereas you didn't. You see, uh, I'm, I'm, like for let me give you an example of what I mean. You know, my mother was a very domineering woman when I, even when after I married. Mm -hmm. And and if I were like you, my mother would have never gotten away with the things that she did. For example, maybe I should have asserted myself and said, you know, my brother quit school. I don't want to quit school. I want to continue school. Mm -hmm. You know, I just accepted uh, the decisions made by them. I really didn't expect this. By the time my father was my age now, he had already served in the army overseas. He had already entered himself in Golden Glove boxing matches, had two kids, and was working two jobs. And me? When my mother tells me not to put my feet up on the coffee table, I continue to put my feet up on the coffee table. This is the stoicism that my father is impressed by. When I was a child, my father had chronic back pain, and I was very proud of how loud my father could yell in agony. So great was his pain, and his rage about his pain, that one night, he actually yanked the bedboard off the bed. After it happened, I would brag to my friends about how strong my father was. From then on, whenever I pulled off some unexpected physical tour de force, like, say, opening a stuck jar of Nutella, my friends would say that I was pulling out the Goldstein bedboard. And in those moments, I would truly feel at one with my legacy. Dad was a textbook wonderful father before there were like Dr. Spock books and things about a father being involved in a tender way with his children. I mean, he hugged us all the time and he would hug my friends and he knew their names mm -hmm. and their fathers didn't know my name even though I'd been to their house thousands of times and they didn't even address us. Mm -hmm. And it's probably great. I'm probably really lucky, but watching someone do, you know, watching someone be um, a kind father and a moral man, it's just boring. Almost every kid I grew up with, their dad fought in Vietnam, and they either had, like, a very obvious physical symptoms from the war, like weird tattoos. My little girlfriend and I would sit around wondering if they'd like killed people and these fathers fulfilled that that promise of deep history that they'd been through. Guys who looked out the window and said, I'm gonna go get some air, smoked out on the porch. Like super machismo in mystery mystery machismo and my dad didn't fight in Vietnam because 
he was studying the origins of the Cold War, and so they thought he should spit it out that, you know, and he always recounts that as, like, an important thing about himself, that he he was studying Russia and, you know, Russia and U.S. relations, and that saved him from Vietnam, and he used to say, if it weren't for that, I probably, you wouldn't be here, I wouldn't be here. And I think we always felt sort of disappointed that he hadn't gone. Really? Yeah. I know tons of people. Actually, most of my friends' parents are divorced. And it happened so long ago, they're not even interested in it. I'm always, like, digging for dirt and trying to find out... Did your mother try to run over your father? Was there screaming? Were things broken? Were there restraining orders? We used to wish our parents would be divorced so we could sort of, you know, when you were on your first dates with boys, tell them about the terrible things that had happened to you and then have them hold you. I couldn't figure out a good way to get a guy to hold me and to cry. I had such a healthy relationship to my father, I suppose, that there was no crack. Do you feel like there's like a there's like a perfect screwed up you that just was never allowed to to be born into the world because of him? Yeah. A real hysterical like plate breaker. I feel like I could have gotten some good mileage out of it. You've tried to pick fights with him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do mean things. Like what? Like, um, he was being really supportive of me being an artist. Mm-hmm. He was saying, well, I think it's just wonderful art. art you know, just amazing. It's, it's a gift intellectually to, to our culture. It's something aesthetic. And he was being nice. He was telling me how wonderful I am or what I'm doing is. And, you know, I kind of looked at him like a little brat and I said name a living artist and it's like the easiest trick I it's really easy artists aren't famous so of course he couldn't it looked like I just like kicked a puppy he looked hurt and he said well I'm I'm sorry I don't know more I'm I'm interested in knowing more can you you know and it was just like oh, oh god Have you, have you ever seen him uh, get into a fight? No. No, he's too doggy. He would never get in a fight. Have you ever seen him, like, defend you? No. We've seen him... He's defended us against ourselves, because we present... You know, if my sister makes fun of how stupid she is, and that she went to hairdressing school and that her boss used to do cocaine in the coloring closet. My father would go, what? No. No. That's terrible. Oh, you're too good for that. You know, and he'll be sort of horrified. And then, you know, she starts saying, well, you know, what, what do I deserve? I mean, 
I'm an idiot. I didn't do well in high school, and I went to hairdressing school. But then he gets, you know, he'll he'll become enraged if you're dissing yourself. So I guess that's how you get a rise out of him. You tell him you're a loser. Yeah, he'll come to your aid. He sounds like the perfect dad. have a nice father. Isn't that awful? Does it ever make you feel like, uh, like you know, like the devil? Like, you know, look at, looking at... Oh, totally. At... Yeah, it makes me feel like the devil. If, if you do have kids, are you going to, like, make certain that that you do something to sort of, like, do a few things to screw them up? I'm afraid it might be quite natural and they'll just... I mean, God, my dad didn't do anything wrong and I'm trying to get back at him. Um, yeah, I don't know. See, that's the thing is I really don't know how they see me. I don't know how my, my kids see me. Um, it's a mystery me you know it's just the way it goes have the kids started to see you differently as as they've gotten older yeah probably i think they probably are much it's much easier to see my faults now they can get they can be quite mean you know what kind of like mean stuff do they do the way they look at you. How do they look at you? <laughs> kind of like you're a huge hole. <laughs> How can you be, you know, it's like uh, they never realize what a, you know, what a fraud failure you are. Something like that. Do you ever catch glimpses of it, like where you feel like you you could somehow see yourself in their eyes somehow? I I, I see it when I scare them. Yeah, I can recognize the fear, you know. Well, how do you scare them? I'm kind of a scary guy sometimes. Just you know, generally bad attitude and upset and angry and probably take it out on them sometimes I don't think they I mean I've tried to to tell them and talk to them in a way that so they'll know who I am and so there won't be surprises but I think that's pretty important ever since they were a little kid I tried to be I tried to be honest and show them you know or tell them things where they'll realize what I'm like because I don't the idea that they would not know who I am is bothersome to me. So, you know, I've tried to, you know, I try to tell them things. Like the last summer, uh, a friend asked us, me to go up to a concert, an outdoor concert in Oregon. 
so you know we were everybody was camping out and there was some marijuana so it was really the first time i'd smoked marijuana or hash in front of my son and i did it with you know sort of this expertise i think it sort of startled him how old is he he's he was 16 mm. and so uh you know we were sitting in the car after that and i said i said look you should know that one of the things I really love to do is fly to a foreign country on the other side of the world, get off the plane, wander around town, buy some marijuana or some hash, and get stoned and lost. Really, so I don't know where I am, and I don't know how to get back to my hotel. That's, one, that's something that I love to do. And... Uh, that's something he should know about me because that is that's true I like to do that I think it's a wonderful thing to be able to do and uh, you know that's what I'm like did this impart something to your son? I don't know I, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, you tell your kids. I tell my kids things, and I hope that I'm making sense. I hope I'm talking about something that's important. But whether they actually hear it or not, whether they actually understand it or not, you don't. I, you know, I I don't know. I can't really say. I probably bore them to some degree. Um, and uh, you, you can't help but screw up your kids. As a parent, you just do it. You know, you screw them up. You put your own problems onto them, and they don't. They they think when they're teenagers that they're never going to be like their parents, and then when they get older, they'll realize that they are a, a lot like their parents when they have kids. At least that's what I saw when I had kids. I started to see, I started to realize I was talking like my dad. I was acting like my dad. I was looking like my dad. I didn't. I never thought that was going to happen, but it did. I think it happens to everybody. You know, you don't think it's going to, and then it does. In some ways, it's okay. I love my kids, and I, you know, I think they're all better people than I am. I look at them and I, you know I'm just amazed every day. I don't know. How, I mean, I do know how they came out that way, but I, I, you know, I had. I don't think I had that, that much to do with it. They'll be all right. They'll all be okay. I don't think they know that yet, but they will be. They'll be fine. call you Trixie? No, don't call me anything. Can I call you Mary? No. Um, do, you, do you have a piece of your book that you can read to me? Yes. Okay. 
go ahead, start reading it, and I'm I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna put some music under you, okay? All right. Okay, go ahead. This is called Our Luck. After my mom left, my dad and I lived in an apartment that had a tiny balcony with a wind chime. We had a pile of bicycle parts out there too, and my dad always said he was going to build a fantastic bicycle for me. The incredible kind, he said. The kind that you see in the circus with three bears on top. There was happiness in that apartment. I would jump up and down in my underwear on the bed instead of going to sleep. There used to be footprints on the wallpaper because I'd lie in bed and put my feet up on the wall. The neighbors complained when I danced on the floor, so I tried dancing on the wall. My dad and I left marks all over the places we lived. Our couch was covered in coffee stains and our carpets had cigarette holes. We had been living there for two years, but since I was only eight years old, it was almost the only place I could remember ever having lived. My dad was a bad father in some respects. Whereas some people clean their house every day, he did not. To dry clothes out, my dad just laid them all over the driveway. Another time we had chips for dinner. We ate chips all day, in fact. Ketchup in the morning and barbecue at night. He said that one day of eating chips wasn't going to make anyone fat. We were both so skinny anyhow. He would always start cleaning the kitchen and then say he was in too good a mood to clean. We would go out to eat at a Chinese restaurant instead. We would get our food to go and eat on the bench in front of the restaurant so that he wouldn't have to tip. My dad always drew pictures on my lunch bags that he thought I would find funny. He put a drawing of a skeleton bending over and throwing up. He put pimples on everyone he drew. It was his trademark. I had to hide my lunch bags from the teachers. We had almost the same lunch except he would take two sandwiches and seven or eight Oreos. I was afraid that the other factory workers would think that he had a little kid's lunch. My dad hated his job. He said he had the brains to be a millionaire. Sometimes I worried about him. I worried that at lunchtime he would be sitting by himself in the cafeteria at work. When my father was a little kid, his father let him drink. He would tell me that no kid should drink, that it made you have funny memories. It made you think that once upon a time you had looked at the moon and it had been orange, that you had been able to ride a bicycle all around town with your hands off the handlebars, that you could hear whatever the woman in the apartment on the other side of the wall was saying, and she was always talking about you. It made you think there was a time when the subway was free, that you had once seen a movie about your own life. My father had broken his arm on a bicycle when he was seven years old. He was hit by a car six months later and then his cigarette set the bed on fire. 
He said he was dreaming of big white gardenias bursting open in front of his eyes. When he woke up, the room was in flames. He had to sleep on a pile of sweaters for a month after that. Everyone started to think my father was unlucky. All his life he had to disguise that unluckiness. Until he had me, he would always say. When he first held me in his arms, he knew his luck had just been resting. That his luck had been waiting for something big. On Wiretap today, you heard Buzz Goldstein, Scott Carrier, Anna, and Heather O'Neill reading from her forthcoming novel. Wiretap is written and performed by Jonathan Goldstein and produced by Jonathan Goldstein with Sarah Gilbert and Carolyn Warren.